Welcome to Our Value. I'm Aaron Franzine. Each episode, we try to identify shortfalls and challenges of an insulation contractor. Then we track down experts to offer their advice and experiences to help you overcome these challenges. Whether you're looking for business advice or need help to identify the latest trends and products in the industry, Our Value is here to help. Welcome to Our Value, the Insulators Podcast. We have an amazing guest today, but before we get to that, I'd like to tell you about the Graco Rewards program. Simply sign up for the program at mygracorewards.com and enter IDI as your distributor of choice. Enter your IDI customer ID and start earning points right away. Your points allow you to purchase everything from gift cards and trips to sporting goods and even Graco product. Sign up today at mygracorewards.com. Today's guest has a very unique history. He started working as a machinist when he was a teenager, a job which he used to put himself through college. He earned his accounting degree from the University of Minnesota, although he never became an accountant. Instead, he went to work for the local manufacturer within a mile from his house as a second shift machining supervisor role. This was the beginning of his career at Graco, in which he currently serves as the president and CEO. The local kid that worked his way up to become the CEO of one of America's best manufacturing workplaces, according to Forbes magazine. Introducing Pat McHale. Pat, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming. Um, I know we're getting some weather this afternoon and through the weekend, so uh, I appreciate you muscling the storm and making it out here today. It hasn't started yet, so we'll see. Yeah, it's barely flurrying, and uh, we'll try to get you out of here before it gets ugly outside. All right. So on the note of weather, I wanted to bring up something interesting. Uh, You once told me, and I haven't figured out why yet because we both live in Minnesota, um, that you don't wear a coat before January 1st. And I've always kind of thrown that around in my head. I'm like, man, that's crazy. It's cold up here in Minnesota. Uh, so what? why don't you wear a coat before January 1st? So as you know, we have five to six months of winter in Minnesota. And I don't really love the cold weather, but I came up with a theory that probably has no scientific uh, background to support it whatsoever that if you don't wear a coat for the first couple of months, you'll build up a tolerance to the cold and then the rest of the winter won't seem so bad. So I started that and of course everybody thought that I was crazy. And once everybody thinks you're crazy, they don't let you go back to being normal. So 30 years not wearing a coat to work before the first of January I'm is an unbroken string for me. 30 years. 30 years. Uh, so does it work? Do you actually, does, is it easier to deal with winters that way? Uh, in my mind, absolutely. It's a stroke of genius. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm not going to start doing it, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, Pat, you have an amazing story, and we're super happy to have you here today. Uh, I'd like to start off with just a couple fun softball questions and warm-ups, if you don't mind. Um Think about, you know, our listeners. Uh, we're here to kind of get to know Pat McHale a little bit, and... uh I'm curious, what do you listen to when you're driving? Is it sports radio or any certain type of music besides the the R-Value podcast, of Bes- course? Besides the R-Value podcast, I like to listen to ESPN and 
Unfortunately, I don't get them except during my lunch hour, but Stephen A. Smith is my favorite, although I will note that today is Stephen A. Smith's last day with the Stephen A. Smith show. Really? So, yeah. I and, did not know that. And the second thing I like to listen to is country music. Those are my two staples when I'm in my car. Okay. That's interesting. I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a classic country music guy. I like all the old stuff, like 80s and older. Uh, my grandpa still plays in a country band. I got a couple uncles that play, so I'm a big country music fan. But the old stuff, I'm not into the poppy stuff so much. But. So I like the new stuff, and I imagine you've got your home collection of old hee-haw tapes. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. That show was gone well before I was born. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> what is your favorite hobby? Uh, generally, my number one hobby in the fall is hunting with my kids, and in the spring and summer, it's golf in Minnesota. And wintertime, it's avoiding being too cold. Right, right. What do you like to hunt? Like birds, fowl, yep. deer? Primarily ducks and geese. Uh, my daughter shot her first duck when she was seven with a 410, and my two older kids are both boys, a 16 and a 20-year-old, and they're both completely addicted to duck hunting. In fact, my oldest son, Jack, is going to NDSU. And he chose his college because it was the best duck hunting college. That's a good way to choose your college. I, I was not too impressed with his decision process. <laughs> yeah, you might have to work on that a little bit. It's too late. Hey, if he's passionate about it, that's that's a good thing, too. And he's getting good grades, so he must study once in a while. Right, right. Are you a member of like Ducks Unlimited or any, any of those things? I am Delta Waterfowl, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever. Okay, that's good. Uh, Joe and Chris Novogratz are members, and they actually, we host events here at our corporate office sometimes for Ducks Unlimited. And uh, yeah, they're big. Chris is a duck hunting maniac, so you guys, I'm sure, would get along really well. We probably would. Well, good. Um, so... Every great leader that I've met or read about seems to have something in common. And that commonality is a consistent morning routine. So I wanted to ask you if you're interested, do you have like a, a, a strict religious morning routine where you get up, same thing, you have your suit laid out, or is it, uh, well, tell us about your morning routine a little bit. So I do have a absolutely strict morning routine, but it's really boring and I wouldn't necessarily uh, say that anybody should copy it. Uh, my alarm goes off at 5.30. Uh, I get up, first thing I do is do email because we're a global company. So all night long when I'm sleeping, I've got stuff coming in from our foreign operations. I get those cleared out, then I shower, get dressed for work. And when I leave for work, I grab a Coke Zero and a bag of goldfish crackers. And that is my breakfast in the car on the way to work every day. So it's not exactly a healthy start to my right. day. Right. It's not so glamorous, but it's it's uh, the same thing every day. I think that's the takeaway: is that a lot of uh, a lot of great lead, It's it's the same thing every day. It's a routine. Uh, it's common, and it's you know it's just what you do to get your day started. So my dad taught me to work, and he said the first thing that you need to do every day is you need to get to work. So I think if you just start there when you're a kid and you get up and get to work, everything else is going to work out. Right, right. Even for a couple minutes, checking emails or doing something, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, well, thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's dive into let's dive into this a little bit more. Um, you know, you strike. I met you, I think, four years ago at the Tough Tech um, release when we had a meeting for the Tough the fireproofing line. Um, 
And you you kind of strike me as a lead by example kind of guy based on your history and kind of the way you came up through the ranks and became the CEO. You know, I don't see you as a guy asking anyone within the organization to do something that I feel you wouldn't do yourself. Um, is that true? Yeah, I would say that's generally true. I think all work is important. There's not some work that's more important to others and than others. And sometimes people ask me, well, geez, you're the CEO, you have all this stress in the job. And really every job I've ever had at Graco, which started on actually on the third shift on the production floor, has had its challenges. And every job has been hard and it's required you to use your brain and do a lot of work and it's all been important to the company. So my view is every job's important and whatever I'm asked to do, I would be happy to do and I expect the same of our people. Right, because essentially when you started, I mean, you were probably sweeping floors and doing some of the things, but you know what? When Graco's biggest customers come in and and things are in place and it's tidy and it's a great workplace and the floor is clean, that person that did that job did something that anybody on any level of the company potentially, it's as important as anything. Yeah, and we'll probably talk more about customer service later, but you can't provide a good customer experience unless every single one of your people from top to bottom is doing their job because a customer is not going to be satisfied if things are mostly good. Everything's got to be done right. And that's why every job's important. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. I respect that a whole lot. Um, you know, if you could go back and tell your younger self, young Pat McHale, uh, just starting out something that you've learned now, now that you're older and wiser, what would that be? So probably it'd be about eight things about women. But since I probably can't really say that on a podcast, <laughs> I would probably say that one of the things that seems to be consistent always is that if you're doing something for the first time, it's going to take you twice as long and cost you twice as much as you think. Yeah, the women thing, everybody could probably use plenty, <laughs> plenty of tips, including including our IT guy, Jeff, here, who I'm just going to poke fun at because he doesn't have a microphone and he can't defend himself. Yeah, we aren't that smart. Yeah, yeah we're still guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I know something important to you is employee relations. Um, you hold a monthly Ask the CEO forum with your employees. What do you want Graco employees to get out of that forum? So there are a few things that are really uh, key for me in that forum. First of all, the company has grown a lot and I don't, everybody doesn't have the access to me that they had 15 or 20 years ago and we were a much smaller organization. So it's one way that everybody has direct access to ask me something or tell me something if it's on their mind. And a lot of people don't want to use email or they don't want to come up and tell me because they may want to stay anonymous. So this is just a way to sort of have a 4,000 person open door policy. Uh, secondly, it's a really nice platform for me to, to be able to um, share Greco strategies and culture. So when somebody asks me a question, often it gives me a chance to reiterate what we're trying to achieve as an organization and reinforce what we're trying to do. Uh, and then lastly, it's a, a, a avenue for me to learn about what's going on in the company because it's easy to get isolated from the people that are doing the work when you're running around doing podcasts and things like that. And this is a way that I'm grounded every month People that have an issue or they see an opportunity or they see something that we could be doing better, they have the option to get that information directly to me. And it really provides me with some good ideas. Right, right. It allows you to see the day-to-day -day problems and hear from everybody. Um, I, think that's, I think that's fantastic. Um, and I was also told the questions are not filtered and none of them get skipped. So anyone who wants to be heard can be heard. 
So when we started the forum, uh, I'm a pretty direct guy. And if somebody asks me a question, I'm going to tell you what I think. And when we started the forum, our HR department and our communications department was having a bit of a heart attack with some of my responses to some of the questions. Don't they say felt that. Like they were yeah, <laughs> too direct, not politically correct. Uh, and I said, wait, this is my forum. If I'm going to bother doing it, I'm going to do this thing my own way. And nobody's going to filter my questions and nobody's going to whitewash my answers. So right. I take all the questions. I just sit down and hammer out all the answers and they don't get changed. There are a couple things that I will change. If somebody asks me a question or makes a complaint about a specific person, I'll rewrite the question to, so, so that they can't like use it to throw their buddies under the bus. Right. Um, but other than that, the questions come through. I answer them all. So do you get just ravaged by HR after that? Uh, they, they did for probably the first year. And then after that, they just gave up. Eric, Eric Gall? It was, no, the, his boss, David Ollers, the top HR dog, is the guy that would really have uh, coronary when he'd see some of the things that I wrote. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. I fired a few people on the forum. I don't know who they are, but I've just told them, if you're going to think like that, then you should go fire yourself. Right. Yeah. You're not a good fit. Exactly. Right. No, that's good. It's a... Uh, it's good to do that. I think it's good to hear from employees. I respect the fact that you do that uh, for your folks. And um, who cares what HR thinks anyways? <laughs> I'm not, not going to say that. Our HR department does many great things for the company. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Eric is a good guy. Uh, we did. Uh, I did a podcast with him and John Fred Cove. And, uh, but yeah, he, um, <laughs> he's got a really good sense of humor. He's not your classic HR guy. No, he's not. Yeah, I won't. That's all we're going to talk about HR. How's that? That sounds good to me. <laughs> um, do you still have the you used to have an, an email or something where you could email the CEO? I remember you talking about that at one point where customers or pretty much anybody could email the CEO questions or if there's a quality, you know, if they maybe weren't getting the responses and we're going to get into more customer service stuff here in a minute. Do you still have that? I do. I do. And that, that was uh, really started probably six or seven years ago. And there's a little story behind it. Um, I'm a big time do it yourselfer, So I don't like to have somebody do something for me if I can do it. So I can do plumbing and electrical and heating and insulation. Com complete. I always hire that, right? Yes. Yes. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. Good call. <laughs> um, but generally, I like to do things myself. I, I'm a hands-on guy. And so I end up buying a lot of tools and I spend a lot of time at uh, different home centers buying uh, stuff for my projects. And I got into a bad streak where I was having some problems with products and I was having some qual uh, customer service issues. And every time I have one of those problems, I think, who's running this place? That's the first thing that goes through my mind when I have a bad experience is who the heck is right. running this place? Where's the boss? The second thing that goes through my mind is, wow, I wonder if we do that to anybody at Graco. And for a while, I convinced myself that we didn't because we do customer surveys and end user surveys, distributor surveys, and we're a four and a half out of five. And I said, well, geez, our, our surveys are good. I get this data every month and I look at it. So we're not doing these kinds of things. And then I had to stop and think that, look, some of these companies that have been doing wrong by me as an individual when I'm outside of work, they're good companies. And I bet you on their surveys, they're getting four and a half out of five. So I said, I'm going to stop thinking about customer service as four and a half out of five. And I'm going to start thinking about it as every customer every time, which is a infinitesimally harder bar to jump. And so when I started that process, I really wanted a way for me to be able to get deep into the organization and have anybody that's having any kind of a bad experience get directly to the top. So I went to put this 
email button out on the website that says basically if you're frustrated with Graco and you haven't gotten help that you need, click this button and email the CEO. And of course the organization went crazy when I said I wanted to do it. They said, you can't do that. We've been in business for 120 years. We've got tens of thousands of distributors and millions of customers all over the world and your phone is gonna blow up. And I said, well, if my phone blows up, that means we got a big problem right? and I wanna know about it. So I said, put it out there. And so they put it out there in North America first and then within a year I had it out worldwide. So I have it on our Asia Pacific website, our European website and our North American website. And I got some things at first that came through where people were having problems. They were frustrated with a salesperson or a distributor or a a product quality problem that wasn't getting taken care of. Um, But then after I started to respond to every one of those and get the organization geared up, that button became known as the nuclear button. The nuclear option. The nuclear option, right. And so whether it's distributors or whether it's customers, if they're getting wronged somewhere by somebody at Graco, they always know that they can go push that button. And generally then people at Graco don't want that button pushed. Right. So it's another way to reinforce to the organization that I expect them to be on the ball and take care of our customers. Right. If the nuclear button gets pushed, Pat McHale has the codes. Right. And taken care of. Nobody gets those emails that, except me. They really? Come, they come right to me. They're not filtered they're by not anybody. They're not screened at all or they're anything? They're not screened at all. Wow. Well, I'm happy I haven't heard from you from any of the, the nuclear button you have uh, not. customers. So that, that must good. mean you're doing a good job or, or else your customers didn't know about the nuclear button. But now they do. It's on the website, www.graco.com under customer service. Yeah. Now you get to hold us accountable, yeah. which you should have been doing. Before. We have to hold each other accountable that's because right. we are a team. Yeah, that's right. And it can be anybody, an end user, a distributor. Anybody can have access to it. It is a way to keep everybody accountable. I mean, the customer at the end of the day is the number one priority. So Absolutely. I, uh, and I've challenged people, uh, you know, that really sends a message that we really care about doing a great job and try to find another major public company where you can go out and email the CEO and get a response back within about five minutes. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I love that. That's awesome. And it's a great tip for... For our customers, you know, if you're an insulation company out there, maybe take some of those customer service tips and apply it to your customers. You know, if if your your contractors or whoever you're working for isn't getting an answer or getting taken care of, make yourself somewhat accessible to them, right? I mean, they they might want to talk to the boss, just like you were saying about the tools or the products that were bad. Like, who's who's running this place? So don't hide from those things. I've always thought it's best to head them on, and the sooner you can make the phone call and get it uh, rectified, the better. And if you have a good team, you really shouldn't be afraid of having your contact information out there, because I really haven't found, even in six or seven years of having it out there on a global basis, I haven't found very many people abuse that. Generally, they only use it when they really need to, and we have a good team at Graco, so the vast majority of the time, they're handling it and they're doing their job. Right, yeah, that's excellent. Um, So on that note, I mean, how long ago did the A plus service uh, plan go into play? Every customer, every time you mentioned that, was that is that six or seven years? Does that all kind of tie in with the the nuclear button? Yes, that all really started at the same time. Okay, um, what improvements do you think that's resulted in? So there's a huge list of things that have improved since we started that whole process and. The first thing was really to get people to think differently about customer service, because if you're a four and a half out of five, that means one out of every 10 customers maybe had an issue. You don't want to, you don't want to be four and a half 
out of five stars in terms of not dropping babies if you're a delivery doctor. So so we get to get the whole organization to think about every customer every time, which means everything from the quality of the sales call, the quality of the training programs. It's not just the customer service people answering the phone, but it's the product. It's was the delivery on time. Did you meet your promise date? Um, were there uh, manuals and videos available for you out on the internet when you needed help? Um, was the warranty processed quickly? Uh, were all your questions answered and problems resolved? And so when you start to say that it has to happen every single time, you've got thousands of interactions every day, you find lots of room to make things better. With new technology that's out there, we've been able to do a lot with uh, um, handing off uh, communications so things move fast within the organization. So if somebody fills out a corrective action in Asia Pacific or in Iowa and it needs to get to the engineering department, it gets there, but not only does it get there that we can track it and we know who has it and we know who's responsible to close it. And then when it gets closed, we can look and see what did they do? Did they really fix the problem and how long did it take and what was the communication back to the customer? And so that process has been put in place over the last few years at Greg when it's been really helpful to make sure that when we have a problem that we do take it to ground and not just, okay, paper it over with, uh, you're the only customer that's had that problem. We didn't hear anything about it. We don't want to operate that way. We want to take each issue, issue seriously. We want to make sure that somebody's accountable for figuring out what happened and getting it taken care of. The best feedback that you can ever get is from your customer because they're going to be honest, right? They invested in your products and they're going to tell you, you know, their honest opinion of it. So listening to the end users and our customers, their feedback is vital in my, it's paramount in my opinion, because they're the ones using it every day and whatever things that Graco can do to make their lives easier, everybody's happier. And if you don't listen to your customers, sometimes they just quietly go away. And there's no way to measure the cost of that, but I can tell you the cost is substantial. Right. You think the problem's solved, but you're not hearing from them because they left. So I implemented our rule at Graco probably four or five years ago that we're not allowed to do a survey unless we follow up on every negative response. And it drives me crazy. I can be on an airplane and they'll send me a survey and they'll say, how did it go? And I can tell them, well, it went lousy. I'll never hear from them. Or I can buy a car and it has a problem. I can take it to the dealer and get it fixed. But if they send me a survey and I say, I got this problem, I never hear from them. So no more surveys at Graco where we send out a survey and you say you have a problem and you don't hear from us. Nobody can do a survey unless we're willing to follow up on every single one with the customer that's negative. Right. Every customer, every time. Every time. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a fun, a fun hardball. If there is such a thing. All right. Is the customer always right? The customer's absolutely not always right. And I think in the business that I'm in, the business that you're in and the business that our contractors are in, they know that there are customers out there that are bad customers. Maybe they don't pay their bills. Um, maybe they're clueless as to what's going on and they cause you a complete tornado all the time. Um, there's a whole variety of reasons why you could have a customer that's not right. And I've been very careful with the organization to let them know that the customer's not always right. 99% of the time, if the customer's having a problem, it's valid. But the 1% of the time that you have a bad customer, anybody at Graco can say, you know what? Hit the bricks. We don't need you for a customer anymore. So we don't have to be abused. We don't have to not be paid. We don't have to deal with the very bottom idiot in the channel. Right, right. Your customers being essentially the distribution channel and their customers, the end users. Um, so let's talk about distribution a little bit. Graco's always offered 
100% support to distribution channel. Um, what what does the channel do for you besides sell your products and, and what does a good distributor look like to Pat McHale? So from a Graco perspective in most of our businesses, and we've done some acquisitions that are structured a little bit differently, but most of our businesses, what we try to focus on is product development, manufacturing and order fulfillment. And that's really what we're good at and that's where we spend our money. We spend $300 million the last five years in new product development. We spend about $280 million the last five years on brick, mortar, CNC machines, and robots to make the product quality better and to maintain our cost. That's what we're good at. What the distribution channel does then is they do all the things that are customer facing. Um, they take our product to market, they help launch the new products, they keep local inventory, they do local service and repair. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of customer facing things that that's not what we're strong at. We want to focus on what we're good at. We'll try to deliver a great product to our channel and then we'll try to get our channel to uh, deliver the great experience to the end user. Okay. Yeah. The channel being essentially the sales team, right. And the service provider for your products. Um, you know, there's a, the distributors, I mean, even, even some of our competitors, I'll, I'll say that, you know, there's a lot of good people out there. Pick somebody who's going to be able to offer you the most support. Not not us, not anybody. Just pick the one that can give you the best support and service and fix your stuff. If something happens, that's going to go the extra mile to properly process a warranty claim and improve the process and products along that way. Um, so that's just something that I've noticed and I, I think it's very important. Yeah, I'd like to, to just to leverage off of what you just said because I think you really hit on something key. When you take a look at people that are really doing well, they're growing their business and they're making money, generally those people aren't out there looking for the lowest price, the cheapest deal, the lowest bid. I think it's easy to, for people to get their mentality there. I have to be always be the lowest bid or offer the cheapest. People don't make the most money doing that. People make the most money by partnering with people that deliver quality, that can differentiate themselves, that can provide service and support. You can pay more for some things and you can have a lot more uptime and uptime is a lot more valuable valuable to you than the, maybe the price of something that you bought the, the day you bought it. So really trying to look at that total cost and what really drives profitability in a business is absolutely picking a partner that can support you from A to Z and not just work with somebody who's going to give you the best price today. Right. A lot of times it's hard to bring your value for somebody else's price, you know, and and we, we talk about that. We it's, it's hard for us to bring the things that we're bringing to the table. I mean, we, we have to pay a guy to turn wrenches. We have to pay people to process a warranty and do the things to keep your business up and running. So, we need, you know, to bring our value, you're going to win in the end and ultimately make some more money as an insulation contractor. So, um, you know, knowing our listeners are primarily insulation contractors, what advice would you give them regarding customer service in their own business? I mean, we, we've hit on a lot of good customer service points. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about, but thinking from an insulation contractor's point of view, what things could you give them? To offer their customers so if you're a contractor of course one of the key things is to try to differentiate your business if you can't differentiate your business in some way then it's always going to be about being the low bidder and there are other ways to get jobs besides doing that because people will pay more but they have to see value in it and it could be that you have to be an excellent communicator um, pay great attention to detail great with the housekeeping 
Um, you know, just coming in and doing a great uh, insulation job, that's a piece of it. But if you don't communicate well, if you don't show up on time, if you're not off the job when you're supposed to be off the job, if you leave a mess, uh, if you're not paying attention to the little things, um, then you're not going to be bringing the same brand for your business uh, to your customer as you could. And I believe that that personal branding that you can bring to a business by offering something over and above just the job well done uh, can differentiate you from your competition and people are willing to pay more because, hey, I know I can count on that person and they're going to do a great job. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, I uh, I tell customers all the time, call me. And answering your phone is one point that I would add to what you just said. Answer the phone. You know, not all of our phone calls are fun and chipper and but if you can answer your phone, customers get get angry sometimes. And you, the sooner you can jump on it and fix it, the happier they're going to be. Um, so even if you're mad at me, Pat, even if you're mad at me, you can call me and I'll still I'll still answer it. I promise. All right. Well, I got your number. All right. Well, hey, Pat, I sincerely appreciate you coming in. I'm thrilled you can join us. Uh, thanks for the support from Graco, and we look forward to a long partnership with Graco down the road. Well, thanks for having me today, and we really uh, thank you for your support. Um, also, thank all of our loyal customers. Uh, yeah, I would like to mention that we've been really committed to our U.S. manufacturing operations, so we make our products here, our customer services here. We haven't moved that over to India or to Panama. Our IT people are here, and without the loyal people that we've got in the field supporting us, partners like you, plus loyal contractors that are buying Graco, we couldn't have those jobs here. So I really, really do appreciate everything both you and our end customers are doing to support us. Well, I appreciate that. And anybody who ever wants to take a tour of Graco and see that it's American made, it's only a few miles from here, call me and I'll answer the phone and we'll go have a peek at Graco's operations because it's really, really cool. We would always love to have you. Well, excellent. Thanks again, Pat. Um, please subscribe to the Our Value podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe, like the episodes, and you can also email us with any ideas you might have about topics or podcasts you'd like to hear at rvaluepodcast at idimn.com. Again, that's the letter R, value podcast at idimn.com. Thanks for listening and set them up, Joe.